Pastor Chris asked me if I would close out this Upside Down series, and, uh, and I'm going to speak for, in a moment on Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, but I'm going to tell you in advance that I'm going to share a message today that your spirit is going to wrap its arms around and you're going to shout for joy, but your mind and your body is going to say, yuck. I don't like that. Um, who here likes Brussels sprouts? Okay. Put your hands down. You're the oddballs. All right. Who does not like Brussels sprouts? Okay, keep your hands up. Just a second. Who does not like cauliflower? No, just keep your hands up. You broccoli people are all there. Now, I'm wanting to add the cauliflower people to it. So everybody that doesn't like broccoli or cauliflower, asparagus, anything else, all right? You know, there's a lot of things we don't like, and our parents give them to us anyway, and they tell us what? Eat this. It's good for you, all right? Uh, you go to the doctor, and sometimes they want to run one of those tests that you don't think they should run. Like if my body was made, they, it it already have that installed. You wouldn't have to. Never mind. Um, but the doctor says, we have to run this test. It's good for you. Well, I'm going to share, you a, share with you a lesson today that's good for you. Uh, you may not like it when it goes down, but you'll like it later, okay? As Pastor Chris says, we're closing out the Upside Down series, and I just want to express my appreciation. I've enjoyed the series. I've enjoyed the teaching by our incredible pastoral team. Um, but if you'll go in your Bible to Matthew 5, verses 3 through 10 is the Sermon on the Mount. We call it the Beatitudes, those of you that are as old as I am will remember Robert Schuller writing a book many, many years ago entitled The Be Happy Attitudes. But <clears throat> these are things that can help us be happy to um, see life differently than the circumstances that are presented. And I chose, because my wife uh, teaches children to use a easy version. I'm using the Message Bible. Sometimes I'll teach out of a children's Bible. It is. But verse 3 says, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more room for God and his rule in your life. You're blessed when you feel lost. Excuse me, you are blessed when you feel you've lost what's most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who's most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself the proud owner of everything that cannot be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's the food and the drink and the best meal you'll ever get. You're blessed when you, when you care. At the moment of being care full, C-A-R-E, full, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world better. 
You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. And now verse 10, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Verse 10 in the Amplified Bible says, Blessed, comforted by the inner peace that God, of God's love are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Anyone here ever suffered or been persecuted for doing what was morally right? For taking the high road? Anyone here relate to that phrase? As Christian, God rewards us for doing the right thing even when no one is looking. For saying the right thing even when we would rather do otherwise. Jesus is telling us that when we live for him and we act like him and tell others about him, not everyone is going to be receptive. Doing, saying, standing up for what is morally right can, can, is becoming harder. Often you get labeled as narrow-minded, intolerant, or called a bigot because you will not compromise your values. Being persecuted or suffering for Jesus is a lot easier when it happens to someone else. Why do we dislike suffering so much? Now, before you answer that question, I asked God the same question when I was preparing this message. First thing I asked Pastor Chris when he asked me to speak is I said, is there an outline? When he said no, I knew that I had to listen to whatever the Holy Spirit wanted me to say. Here's what he told me. Your spirit always responds properly to suffering. It is your mind and your flesh that have difficulty with the concept. So I asked God, why would my spirit always respond properly when my mind and flesh do not? My mind and my flesh just want suffering to be over as soon as possible. Anybody there with me? Just as quick as you can answer this prayer, God, would be nice. We say things like, make it stop, or God, please help me, or sometimes if we're honest, we say things like, I can't take it anymore, or God, where are you, or God, I don't see you doing anything, or we say, don't you care. God does care. He does see, but he also knows what's best for each of us. God knows that when our mind and our spirit always get their way, when they always get what they want, it leads us away from God. I want you to listen to this scripture for just a moment. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please God. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting your spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. And that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. 
And when you go through life doing things that please your mind and please your flesh, you're feeding the very thing that's taking you away from God. Making the things of your mind and your body, excuse me, making things difficult on your mind and your body, according to Jesus in Matthew 10, drives you deeper, not further, from God. It draws you deeper into his presence. It makes you more desperate for him. It makes you more dependent on him. It, keep, it helps you put the kingdom of God first in your life. So why does your spirit respond differently to suffering than your mind and body does? God's answer to that question is the title of today's message. He said to me, I'm actually not sure I want to tell you what he said because once I tell you, you're going to become responsible for what you've heard. So if you don't want to hear, this is put your fingers in your ears and yeah, 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 yeah. This is what, this, when I asked him, why does my mind and body respond differently to my spirit does to suffering? This is the exact words he told me your spirit understands the value of suffering and your mind and your body does not the value of suffering I can honestly say I don't think I've ever used those four words together in my entire life But before I talk to you about the value of suffering, I think even a more important question needs to be asked, and that is this. Why does God allow suffering? If he's an all-good, all-powerful God, couldn't he just stop injustice? We've all asked this question. For all human history, people have wrestled with the question, why does God allow suffering? Much of the pain and suffering that we experience or that we see others going through is undeserved. Sometimes it's hard to accept. But before we take a poll or inject our own opinion here, let's consider what the Bible has to say about suffering. But first we need to consider an appropriate context to discuss this properly. And let me just be clear, this is the part of the message that I wrestled with because I understand that for some of you this topic's too close to home. The wound is still open. You're still uncertain if you're going to make it. The grief is still too immense. You feel like no one understands. You feel alone. Even in this sanctuary full of godly people, somebody's sitting here thinking no one cares. And if you're going through a difficult time and you share your suffering with someone else, can we be honest? Most of the time we do not want to be told things like God works all things together for the good. That's in the Bible, but just because it's there doesn't necessarily mean that's the first scripture you need to tell somebody that's suffering. And can I just give a brief disclaimer here for those of you that are note takers? If you're talking to someone who's hurting physically or mentally or emotionally, I would not recommend that you use this particular teaching that I'm giving right now to give them advice. And if you're personally going through a painful struggle right now, don't try to use this teaching to get a quick fix. The Bible verses 
on the topic of why does God allow suffering are generally not helpful and they don't comfort those who are currently suffering. They're best used for studying and meditation prior to going through suffering. Once you find yourself in a crisis, whatever is on the inside of you is going to come out. During a time of suffering and difficulty, most of the time you'll get through it with whatever faith or character you had when you started the suffering. In the midst of the season of intense emotional and, uh, and extreme stress, it's hard to learn a new biblical worldview or develop a more mature faith that will help us in that moment of time. Now, it will help you. It just may not help you now. Of course, we can grow through times of difficulty, persecution, trial, and suffering, but usually the learning occurs later upon reflection the hope is that prior to the crisis we grow in our understanding of God and his ways that our trust in his constant goodness has grown during our time of fellowship with him that our submission to his lordship is good excuse me our submission to his lordship in good and bad situations is secure and our readiness to delight in his will whether that rather than on our own will is evident then and only then will we be able to endure pain and suffering because we'll have a deep foundation and a mature faith and an inner strength of character to help us deal with hard times. So let's get to the real question. Why does God allow suffering? We're going to consider a number of aspects of this issue, but as we do, I want you to keep in mind the most important question is not why. If you're a man and you've been in men's class, I've used this phrase many times, and that is the enemy will put a hook in your nose and lead you where you don't want to go if you spend your entire life asking the why question. Because some things God's not going to answer, and some things you're not going to understand why. Personally, I tend to focus on the who not to why. But throughout the Bible, people who were suffering like Job and the psalmist David and the promised Jeremiah, uh, prophet Jeremiah all asked the Lord why. And God understands this. He doesn't condemn them for asking why. He lets us suffer, but he doesn't directly answer the question. Not even when Jesus asked the question why from the cross, why have you forsaken me? Silence. No answer. Most of the time we ask, when we ask the why question, we, because we need to express our emotions. This is how we come to understand our experience and to receive comfort and strength from those who listen and care for us. But with time, it may take us a long time, we need to get to the place where we stop asking why and we begin to ask what. Knowing that God is always good, knowing that God is always loving, knowing that God is always on my side, instead of asking why, I ask what. What can I learn during this difficult time? What is the good thing hidden in the suffering that I'm hoping will stop? 
What can I do to honor God and to keep my heart right with him during this time of hardship? Jesus taught first and then demonstrated to us how to deal with suffering and injustice by number one, loving God with all of our heart and loving others as we love ourselves, including those who are difficult or sometimes mistreat us. Most of us understand that this requires maturity and strength, but that's the main reason we need to go through suffering and hardships is to learn about ourselves and how we can become more like Jesus. Let me share with you a few Bible verses about difficulties, pain, and suffering and the lessons they're trying to teach us. Consider Psalms 13.1 that says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? See, the lesson is that in pain we often struggle to feel God's love and to understand his purposes. How about Galatians 6, 8 that says, The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature he will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap life eternal. Well, that tells us that our choices lead to times or seasons of pain or blessing. We all like the seasons of blessing. But sometimes we have a difficulty connecting the seasons of pain, connecting the dots to the decisions that we made before. How about Luke 13, 4 that says, this is a, a really unusual scripture because it's just there and there's no detail. But Jesus is speaking, so I'm thinking if Jesus said it, he, there was a value. He didn't just say this because... It had no value, but it says, oh, he's talking, he says, or the 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. That's a hard scripture. I don't think I've ever preached a message on that scripture. How about you, Pastor Chris? No. What's it telling us? It says, that God allows undeserved tragedies as agents of spiritual change. How about consider Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's actually James 1, 2 and Romans 5, 3. And what that tells us is that growing spiritually can bring joy to those going through difficult times. If the only thing you see is the problem, then you may be missing the purpose. 1 Peter 6, 9 says, In this greatly rejoice that now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. What's that trying to teach us? Trials bring grief for a little while. But they also bring the joy of our faith growing 
and maturing. Let me do one last one. Jesus said this in John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Now, we like quoting that verse. We just stop quoting at that verse. Because the very next words out of Jesus' mouth says, In this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. See, see, the lesson we learn here is we all experience troubles and need to learn to find our peace in him and not in our comforts of life. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says, God is the God who comforts us in our suffering that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. The lesson is God comforts us in pain so that we can comfort others. See, if you just see the pain all about you, all about what you're dealing with, you miss the fact that God may be equipping you to help somebody else. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And the lesson there is that when we rely on God for help in order to forgive others who have hurt us, sometimes you can't forgive people without God's help. And then the last one I'm going to share on this point, and the one I want you to really, you've read this verse before, but you may not have seen it in the context you're going to see it in today. But in Matthew 26, 39, it says he, and now that he is Jesus, is that Jesus went a little further and bowed his face to the ground praying, my father, if it's possible, let this time, some translations say this hour, but it's really talking about a season, a moment of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I like the, the King James, one of the very few words I like out of the King James, it says, nevertheless, I want your will to be done, not mine. And the lesson to be learned here is that Christ in the garden is our best example when we're in suffering or in pain. We all want it to end. We all want a different path. But it's the nevertheless that gets us through. No one enjoys suffering, but suffering is a necessary, normal part of the Christian life. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. In fact, Scripture says we can expect hardship and suffering to increase. So we must be prepared. We learn from the book of 2 Timothy that we may experience suffering as a result of our testimony or because of our godly living or because we take a stand for the truth. We may also experience suffering when we're rejected or others have left us. Sometimes uh, we experience suffering as a natural consequence to our fleshly worldly desires. Suffering will indeed come. But God can give us grace and the power to overcome every trial and to fulfill our purpose in his kingdom. In his second epistle to Timothy, the apostle Paul shared some important truths about how we can endure suffering. So I'm going to give you 10 principles for enduring suffering. I'm trying to hurry. I have 103 scriptures in this teaching, all right? 
Really, I do. Point number one, don't forget why you're suffering. Remember your purpose and whom you serve. The apostle, said he, apostle Paul said he was willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Our suffering, big or little, can be used to bring about the same purposes. Don't forget why you're suffering. Number two, remember that you're a prisoner of Christ, not a prisoner of your circumstances or other people. That's 2 Timothy 1.8. Don't let people make you captive. Number three, keep going back to the things that you know are true from God's word. Don't doubt in the dark what you've seen in the light. Remember that what you've received as a result of your salvation. Remember your calling in the grace of God. Number four, keep doing whatever God's called you to do. Persevere, stay the course, and be faithful regardless of the difficulty or hardship. Number five, trust God to deal with those who oppose the truth. Don't take matters into your own hands. I'm teaching a series in men's class about spiritual warfare. And the foundational scripture for spiritual warfare is Romans 12, 21. It says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And whenever you see somebody, you know, we had some of the news yesterday about what happened in Pittsburgh. You got somebody trying to overcome evil with evil. That's playing right into the devil's hands. You overcome evil with good. And sometimes when you overcome evil with good, it doesn't look good at the moment. When Jesus overcame evil with good on the cross, it did not look good at the moment. You overcome evil with good, Romans 12, 21. Number six, remember times in the past when the Lord delivered or rescued you. Be quick to praise him and testify to others. Number seven, you have to rely on the resources God has given you. And some of these resources are the grace of God, the gift of God, your God-given ability to serve him. The power of God rather than your own strength. The scripture the Lord gave me as I was preparing this message is John 15, 5. And just says, it just says, without me, you can do nothing. One of the resources God's given us is the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The word of God will keep you grounded and give you his perspective. You see, when you're going through difficult times, the enemy has an objective and God has an objective. And the enemy's objective is to get you to begin to look at the circumstance. He wants you to think about how long it's going to be. What you're going to have to go through. How you feel. What it's costing you right now. And God's looking at where he's taking you and what you're going to become and the power of God that's going to work in your life and how that story is going to impact later generations. You can't get narrow-minded and short-sighted when you're going through difficult times. Number eight, you have to remember that you're not alone in your suffering. 
See, one of the strategies of the enemy when you're going through difficulties, financial difficulties, marriage difficulties, you're suffering in your physical body, there is a spirit of isolation that comes in and wants you to withdraw, to step back. Proverbs 18.1 says that a man, and I think it's talking about a woman too, but it says a man who isolates himself is not wise. You're not alone. You have the presence of Christ. That's Matthew 28.20. The prayers of other believers. That's 2 Timothy 1.3. The fellowship of suffering. Other believers who are facing hardships as well. That's 2 Timothy 1.8 and Hebrews 13.3. All these cultivate and help us to endure. The ninth thing that we learn about suffering is no matter how difficult things are today, you can face a future of hope. You have to trust the truth in Scripture. The truth is one day all things that have gone wrong will be righted. That's 2 Timothy 3, 8 and 9. When you think that the other person is going to get away with it and there's never going to be an accountability, the enemy wants you to respond. He wants you to repay evil for evil. But when you know that one day God's going to write the ledger and he's the, one, the only one who should be writing the ledger, you focus on the truth of Scripture. The truth is the Lord will deliver you from all evil in his time and his way. That's 2 Timothy 4.17. In the meantime, counsel your heart according to the truth and the promises of God. That's Psalms 27. The truth is that all your suffering, efforts, labor, and faithfulness will be rewarded in that day when believers stand before the Lord. And there's a lot of scriptures I can give you, but I'll just tell you James 1.12. And then finally, the truth is you will give an account one day. So you have to guard the truth that's been entrusted to you. And then you can't let the truth be taken even though you're going through suffering. And then the final lesson to be learned in suffering is that in your suffering, remember Jesus Christ. Remember his life and his suffering, his sacrifice for your salvation. Remember his triumph over Satan and sin and death. Remember his power and promises and presence. And remember what he's doing for you right now in heaven is preparing a place so you can spend all eternity with him. You see, we have to expect suffering. It is inevitable. But we don't forget the powerful resource that you have in Christ. You have to entrust your life to his ever-present care. He loves you and he will help you endure. What our spirit knows and understands that most of the time our mind and body doesn't is that the Christian life is a life of suffering. And the greatest blessings are in the pain and the greatest lessons are learned in the suffering. And we learn obedience the same way Jesus did. Hebrews 5, 8 says that even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Hebrews 2.18 says, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Psalms 119.71 says, my suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your degrees. 2 Timothy 2.3 says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
Isaiah 48, 10 says, I have refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. Philippians 1, 29 says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. The problem is we like the first suffering or the first privilege we just don't like the second privilege. Now, I'm looking out, and your spirits are clapping and jumping up and down, but your mind and body is saying, when's he going to stop? You'll be glad to know I'm almost finished. We all experience times of adversity in our lifetime, and we must turn to God and his word during times of difficulty and suffering for his strength and his comfort. When we put our faith in him, he will guide us to a path of peace. So let me close with just a couple of more verses of scripture. One that you, you know very well. In fact, if I started it, you could help me finish it, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. How can, we, how can we can do that really well when things are going good? But when things are going bad, we tend to lean on our own understanding. And because we don't understand it, we just want it to be over. Proverbs 24, 10 says, If you falter in the time of trouble, how small is your strength? I'm almost to the end of my time, so I'm going to edit here a little bit. Let me just close. I'm going to read you one final passage of Scripture because I think I've made my point. I have another 86 here, but uh, I'm going to. Yes. I'm going to read one passage of Scripture, which if you've been in church for a while, you know. Then I'm going to read you this passage before it and the passage after it. And then we're going to close. I have a prayer that I've written, and we're going to recite that prayer out loud. And then I've, I'm looking, and I see some people that need to, somebody to pray with them. And so in a moment, our altar will be open. I love the passage of Scripture out of Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. It says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Y'all help me. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin anew each morning. I mean, we just love that. What a great passage. The problem is we just don't know verse 19 through 21. Because the way this passage starts is prophet Jeremiah says the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss yet now he starts talking to himself here 
He's telling you how he feels. This is what's going on. But something kicks in. Something begins to happen. And he says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. This is the word of God coming out of him. I'm not going to get in that pit. I'm not going to stay down there. It's not fair. That's when he says the verse you love so much. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And then he goes on to say, I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, those who search for him. Now, listen to me. Then he gives instruction at the end of this passage verse 27 says this so it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord so the problem is when we're going through suffering we want everybody else to know how bad things are And I'm not saying that you shouldn't get prayer or get somebody to agree with you. But I will tell each and every one of you, and I don't know what you're going through, but I know this with the fact that God is bigger than whatever you're going through. And I'm going to magnify God, not magnify my suffering. But then he continues now. He's not through. He concludes this by saying, it is good for people to submit at an early age to his yoke and discipline. Suffering is good for you. When you understand the value of suffering. And when you see suffering only like a plague that you just want to get rid of as quickly as possible. You're letting your mind and your body dominate your response to suffering. When your spirit says, bring it on. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me for a moment. I have a closing prayer. I don't usually do this. The Lord told me to do this. I'm going to read a prayer. This may not be how you feel at the moment, but this is how you need to feel. So I'm just going to read a phrase, and as best we can in unison, you're going to repeat what I just said, and we're going to go through this. So, God, I thank you that you know what I'm going through right now. That you have promised never to leave me in difficult times. I am thankful for your presence in my life. Your word declares you are my shield. You are my refuge. You are my strong tower. I run to you in times of difficulty. I'm grateful for your protection. 
even in hardships, I am safe in you. God, I know you watch over your word. You watch over your promises to fulfill them. You have exalted your word above your name. I am hopeful in your promises. You are the Lord God most high. Nothing is too difficult for you. I put my faith and my trust in you. You are faithful. Your word declares that in the heat of the battle, this one thing I know, God is for me. Your word declares that in my suffering, in my difficulty, in my sickness, in my loneliness, in my financial difficulty, in my anxiety, and in my current situation, that all of these things are temporary. Help me to see things the way you see them. I am thankful. I am grateful. I am hopeful. Because you are always faithful. Help me to understand the value in suffering. So that I can learn obedience the same way Jesus did. Regardless of what I'm going through. I believe you will help me go through this time of suffering. Yet not my will. But your will be done. And I pray this prayer in the powerful and loving name of Jesus. Amen.